Good morning, it is 7 a.m. Here is the not-so-brief COVID-19 update from March 31st, 6.30 a.m. The pandemic is beginning to surge in Maine, as it is in New England. The good news is it is surging later here than elsewhere, and as a result, there are some lessons we can learn from our neighbors. Take Vermont. It has a population size that is half of Maine's. As of yesterday, they have 256 people who have tested positive, not far from our 253. But unlike us, they have lost 12 people to this disease, compared with Maine that has lost three. A closer look shows that eight of them are patients at Burlington Health and Rehab, Burlington Health and Rehab a 120-bed skilled nursing facility, where more than a dozen patients and staff have tested positive. We know from the experience in Kirkland, Washington, and elsewhere that people living in long-term care facilities such as nursing homes, are at high risk for severe disease. So while it is incredibly difficult for Mainers who live in such facilities and for families who are unable to visit, Vermont's experience is a reminder of the critical importance of cocooning those who are at, a high, at higher risk. One major challenge is to make sure social distancing, this cocooning, does not necessarily mean social isolation. And hopefully we can figure out ways to reach out to those who are physically isolated, whether they're in a high-risk group in a long-term care facility or isolated at home. Then there's Massachusetts. The pandemic got a cataclytic start there with what is called a super-spreading event, a two-day Biogen company leadership meeting at the Boston Marriott Long Wharf, attended by 175 at the end of February, resulted in at least 99 coronavirus cases in Massachusetts, as well as a number in other countries and states including five in North Carolina and several in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, D.C., and even in Europe. For the first two weeks, they accounted for the vast majority of the Massachusetts cases. Another New England super-spreading event was a 40th birthday party for a woman in Westport, Connecticut on March 5th. March 5th. 22 of the 50 attendees became positive. It is not well understood why some events can result in such disease transmission. It may be that one attendee who is socially gregarious happens to be highly contagious at the time of the event, but not ill enough to stay home. In some diseases, there can be slightly there can be silent, i.e. healthy, carriers who can transmit the disease. Mary Malone, who also known as typhoid Mary, is the most famous example of such a person. She was a healthy, longtime carrier of typhoid, and especially because she worked as a cook, she managed to transmit it to hundreds of others over a period of years. Unlike COVID-19, Typhoid is primarily transmitted through the fecal-oral route, something I'll spare the details of in case you happen to be eating, but Wikipedia has a good explanation. See the post for the link. With COVID-19, we don't know the extent to which people without symptoms may play a role in transmitting the disease. However, several recent studies, links below this post, indicate this may be significant. Although people are likely to be much more contagious once they have a fever and cough, People incubating the infection are much more likely to be engaging with others, and therefore may be major transmitters of it. One study indicated that people without symptoms may have been responsible for 86% of the spread of the disease in China before the country was locked down. Another study of two outbreaks in China and Singapore indicate that about half of the people sick with COVID-19 may have contracted it from someone without symptoms. Complicating matters is COVID-19's relatively long incubation period, time from exposure to showing symptoms. Of an average of five days, and preliminary data show people could be contagious for two to three days before they have symptoms. Regardless, 
These superseding events in Massachusetts and Connecticut, combined with preliminary studies showing increasing evidence for disease transmission from people without symptoms, reinforce the importance of social distancing and vigilant respiratory hygiene. One never knows what events can be superspreaders or who may be silently carrying the infection. Throughout this pandemic, I stayed in touch with colleagues who work in hospitals in Massachusetts. Because the epidemic there is about one to two weeks ahead of us, their stories have helped to give an idea of what life may be like here in the coming days. For instance, one friend who works in a large urban Massachusetts hospital told me that as of last week, most of their patients being admitted are now those diagnosed with COVID. Every several days, they open up a new unit for just COVID patients. They're able to do that since they canceled all elective surgeries and admissions about three weeks ago. <clears throat> so they started the pandemic surge with a number of empty beds. Maine hospitals likewise canceled such admissions almost two weeks ago, and our hospitals in southern Maine have begun to create units for COVID patients. The same Massachusetts colleague also shared that they've been astounded how few other people are being admitted to the hospital. But then he observed that if people are not driving much and are they're at home most of the time, and even walking outdoors more, perhaps they're not in car crashes, they're not having heart attacks, and their diabetes is better controlled. And maybe there is less air pollution that is also helping those with asthma and other chronic lung or heart disease. I lost my place, sorry. Um, okay, if this is true, that, that social distancing measures are keeping others physically healthier and out of the hospital, preliminary experiences here in the U.S., tells us that it is a very good thing since patients hospitalized with COVID-19 seem to be hospitalized for a relatively long time, and that is one reason why hospitals in outbreak areas are filling up. While an average length of stay for someone hospitalized in the U.S. is about five days, very preliminary data indicate patients with COVID-19 seem to be hospitalized for twice that length of time, including a high proportion of them being admitted to ICU level of care. One case series shows for those admitted to the ICU, the average length of stay there is 12 days. Once patients are ready for discharge from the hospital, a significant proportion seem to need nursing home level of care before going home. Yet, because of the severe impact this disease has on those living in nursing homes, and because of some data indicating patients may shed the, may shed the virus for days, many nursing homes are understand, understandably reluctant to take COVID-19 patients. In Massachusetts and other places, some are making plans for COVID-19 specific nursing home units, so these patients have a place to go, which not only helps those patients make their way home, but also frees up hospital beds for those needing to be admitted. A friend at Massachusetts General Hospital, MGH, in Boston said the hospital has had purchased about a thousand iPads when this started, and how that has been an excellent investment in ways they least expected. He said the original idea was to help break down the social barriers for people who are isolated due to COVID. However, with high initial rates of healthcare workers getting exposed, they started using the iPads creatively to reduce such exposures. For instance, now both the patients and the nurses outside of the patients' rooms have iPads, and they are able to communicate more frequently in such a way that reduces the use of PPE and reduces the chances of exposure of the nurses to infection. Instead of large teams of 10 to 20 rounding on patients in the COVID hospital units, they limit those who are physically rounding to two, who take the rest of the team along with them via their iPads. MGH's own Atul Gawande, renowned surgeon and author, published an article in the New Yorker on March 21st, 
with lessons learned from the COVID pandemic in Singapore and Hong Kong. One observation he shared was on the likely reduction in healthcare worker infection with COVID-19 by simply masking everyone who works in a hospital. Although this was not published in a standard peer-reviewed journal, his data and stories were compelling enough that my guess is this article led to the quickest change in medical practice of any article. By Monday, March 23rd, MGH implemented universal masking of all employees. By Friday the 27th, Maine Health did as well. I've heard of other hospitals following suit. Still others have expressed a desire to do this, but are constrained by supplies. Even MGH and Maine Health have had to scramble to find ways of purchasing masks, mostly at much higher prices than normal. But with Maine CDC reporting yesterday that at least 43 healthcare workers in Maine have tested positive, and with us being early in this pandemic, we need to do what we can to be able to treat patients, and that also means protecting healthcare workers. So far, the lessons we are learning from other states are mostly focused on their urban centers. There is understandably a great deal of attention on our cities, where, because of high population density, infectious disease, diseases can spread very quickly. New York City has a population density of 70,000 per square mile, versus Maine's 43 per square mile. Yes, that's 43, not 43,000. However, it is, it is a mistake to think that rural areas are immune from this pandemic. For instance, during the 1918 influenza epidemic, influenza pandemic, sorry, in Maine, the counties with the highest death rates were, in descending order, Aristic, Piscataquis, Knox, Cumberland, and Washington. It appears that high population densities in Portland, Cumberland County, of many young recent immigrants, unlike COVID, the 1918 influenza epidemic hit young adults the hardest, and the densely populate, populated wartime shipyards in both Knox County area, Rockland and Camden, and northern Cumberland County, Brunswick and neighboring Bath and in Sagadahawk County, were factors leading to their tragically high death rates. Aristic, Piscataquis, and Washington counties were primarily very rural farming, logging, and fishing areas of the state. A review I did of, of old newspaper articles from the time period indicated that a lack of healthcare facilities and poverty contributed to the high impact of the pandemic in these rural areas. Similar risk factors exist today. Our urban areas have the vast majority of our hospital beds and intensive care units. People living in rural areas are older, more likely to live in poverty, and therefore more likely to be in poor health, risk factors for more severe disease with COVID-19. This haunting quote from the Aroostook County Madawaska newspaper from November 18th 1918, describes the scene there. Le monde de Dieu s'est abattu sur notre population. Jamais on parait plus à visiter notre pays. The hand of God has struck our population. Never has such a calamity visited our, re our region. <sighs> okay. The lessons from 1918, as well as for our neighboring New England states in 2020, should serve as a reminder that social distancing and respiratory hygiene are as critical throughout Maine as they are in New York City. Unfortunately, Maine's health systems are much more advanced and interconnected than in 1918. Maine Health and other health systems, North Light, Northern Light Healthcare, Maine General, Central Maine Healthcare, are federally qualified healthcare centers. The Maine Hospital Association, Maine DHHS, and others are all working hard to assure adequate healthcare is available to all Mainers. But I cannot emphasize how critical the social distancing is during the pandemic surge we are now experiencing. There are numerous social distancing mandates from all levels of government, including shelter-in-place orders, but they are only as effective as we the people are at implementing them. 
Finally, I love reading about how Mainers are putting their Christmas lights back up. Well, truth be told, I never got around to taking them the window candles down, so I'll just leave them up and turn them back on. They are a needed reminder during this dark time of the pandemic of the lights we can shine on each other as we endure this challenging time. Anyways, that took a long time to do. Um, the links to a bunch of stuff are in the bottom of the post. Um, sorry if I stumbled a bit this morning. I just got up. Anyways, stay happy and stay well, guys.